You want to know what? One of the things that I love about being a Christian, about serving the Lord Jesus Christ, is that the Bible paints this picture of a God who is always seeking your good. I mean, you can trust that whatever God is doing in your life, He has good things planned for you. Isn't that exciting? I mean, think about it. I know different stuff comes in your life, and you got to face different things. But ultimately, the God of the universe has good things and good ideas planned for you. Now, um, we are in a new month called February, right? Now, last month, we called it Serve Month. And I hope you know it's not just a month to come and go and forget about, right? It's a lifestyle of serving God. Now, this month, we're going to switch gears a little bit as we study the Word. And uh, we're calling this Grow Month. Grow month, and so uh, we'll be focusing on uh, uh, growing in our relationship with God. All over the Bible, and especially the New Testament, you can see this idea that God wants us to grow spiritually. God wants you to grow spiritually. The idea that you just, you know, say something called the sinner's prayer, and that that's the end of it, um, the beginning and the end of it, uh, that's not a Bible idea. It doesn't reflect the heart of Jesus. And I'm not talking here about doing something to earn your salvation or, or, or pay your way for salvation. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all on the cross. We don't add anything to what Jesus did on the cross for salvation. We simply respond to it. The work of redemption is finished, but we rely on Jesus for that. But after we've experienced the new birth in Christ and the transformation that comes by faith in Christ, Jesus expects us to grow in our relationship with him. That is, the Holy Spirit continues his transforming work in our lives. Right? He told the Corinthians that they should grow in their faith. He told the Colossians they should grow in the knowledge of God. To the Thessalonians, he said that our faith should grow more and more. And Peter says that we should grow up in our salvation and that we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And our Savior Jesus himself said that we should stay connected to the vine so that we can produce fruit. So this month we're going to be focusing on growing in our relationship with God. Now I have a question for you. If we're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and if the Holy Spirit is desiring for us to grow, how does that happen? I mean, do we just go off in the corner somewhere and sit and hope to grow? You know, do we just go like meditate somewhere and hope to grow? Or maybe, get, I know, get a spiritual life coach, right? And, and the spiritual life coach will tell you all the secrets about growth. Well, no. Um, so there are several ways in the scripture that the Holy Spirit uses to produce growth in us. And all of these ways, this is the cool thing, all of these ways are accessible to everyone. To every one of us. You don't have to be a pastor to grow spiritually. You don't need a master of divinity to grow in your relationship with Jesus. So what are the, some of the things that the scriptures say the Holy Spirit uses to produce growth in us? Somebody shout them out. What are some of the things that the Holy Spirit, the word of God. All right, what else? Somebody shout something else. Prayer, all right, word of God, prayer, something else, anything? All right, all of those things, whatever you all just said, that's great. All right, it's not a trick question here, right? Some of these things you already know, right? Someone said fellowship, that's part of it too, all right? So we're going to be focusing on some of these things um, this month. Not all of them, there are going to be some other things we won't get to, but we're going to be focusing on those things this month. And uh, um, today, we're especially going to be focusing on the Word of God, growing in the Word of God. 
Uh, Paul wrote to the Colossians that they should live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in what? Growing in the knowledge of God. That's the Word of God. And so as a believer in Jesus, if you're going to grow in the knowledge of God, um, the place you need to start is the Word of God. Now, next week what we're going to do, we're going to be focusing on the Word of God again, but I'm going to be giving some real practical ways to engage God's Word. Because I know some people say sometimes, you know, uh, I'm pastor, I'm not getting anything out of it, or uh, I'm not understanding what I'm reading, or, or things like that. Or, um, and so we're going to engage some real practical ways. But for this week, we're going to be looking at our motivation for reading the God Word, how the Holy Spirit wants us to motivate us to be in the Word of God for spiritual growth. Will you all pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, say this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, please give me ears to hear what you're saying to me. Give me eyes to see what you're doing in my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right. So if you could all please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, and we're starting at verse 21. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 21, will be mostly in this scripture this morning. And, uh, but before we read it, let me give you just a little bit of context of where this passage fits in the Gospel. Um, this passage is a part of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Right? It's the most famous sermon ever given, given, the most powerful sermon ever given, and the, the most uh, profound moral teaching ever given. And the message is given, this part of the message, is, uh, is near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount happened right near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's on a mountain uh, in Galilee, and it says that many people have gathered from Jerusalem and Judea and from Galilee and from as far away as Damascus and Syria and the other parts of the Jordan. This is a real eclectic group of people, all kinds of different kinds of people here. And all this, on this hillside, Jesus delivered um, this great sermon. And this, in this message, he's describing what the kingdom of God is like, describing what it's like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Some have called it the Magna Carta of the kingdom or the Constitution of the kingdom. And so in this message, Jesus has already talked about kingdom living, about meekness and mercy, and about righteousness and humility, about murder and anger and adultery and lust and divorce and honoring your word and forgiveness and love for enemies and prayer and fasting and generosity and treasures in heaven and about worry and faith and more. All of these things Jesus has talked about in this greatest sermon ever given. And then we come to our passage in chapter 7. Verses 21 to 27. It's the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's made all of his points. And this is the last thing he wants them to hear. So let's read it, beginning in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Then in verse 24, he says, therefore, now pause for a second on that word, therefore. He's saying, therefore, since all of what I just told you is true, since it's true that there will be some who say to me, Lord, Lord, and they do not enter the kingdom of heaven, since there will be some who appear to be religious 
and end up hearing Jesus say, away from me, I never knew you. Since all of that is true, therefore, listen to what I'm about to say, because it's really important. So here it is, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Wow, can, can I tell you, can Jesus paint a word picture? Or what, right? Jesus makes an analogy here, really two converse metaphors about foundations. And they're really not difficult to understand, aren't they? I mean, uh, they're not like some of the parables where, where the crowds wouldn't understand them and the disciples would, would come afterwards and say, Jesus, could you explain this parable to us? Because we really didn't get it either. This isn't really like that. It's kind of straightforward. Foundations are easy to understand. How many contractors do we have here? I know we've got, oh, John's back there, Dan's back there, I see the others back there, right? Okay, and you all understand foundations, right? But I think all of you understand, you don't have to be a contractor to understand you need a foundation when you're going to build something, right? We all can understand that. that that's not difficult to, to understand. So if you hear his words and put them into practice, well, he says, then you are wise. Like someone who took the time to lay a foundation before building a house. Your life looks something like this lighthouse. You like that lighthouse? How many of you love lighthouses? You have pictures all over your house, right? Okay. This is the Whaleback Lighthouse off the shore of Kittery, Maine. It was, it was built in 1872 by the Army Corps of Engineers. It stands 70 feet high and it's built on a tiny piece of land out in the ocean near the mouth of the Piscataqua River. Uh, that's, the, the piece of land is less than an acre. And, and sometimes it's real peaceful, just like this picture. But sometimes it looks like this picture here, or this picture, or this next picture. All right, it can get pretty rough out there in the ocean. Say, do you think that that lighthouse is built on some type of a firm foundation? I mean, look at that day in and day out, the wind and the sea and the surf pounding on that lighthouse, and yet it has stood the test of time for over 150 years, or just about 150 years. If you hear his words and put them into practice, you are wise and have a good foundation, and you stand the test. But if you hear Jesus' words and do not put them into practice, he says, then you are foolish. Like someone who was in a rush to build a house and cut corners and didn't lay a proper foundation, your life looks something like this house. Now, at first, you might say, oh, what's the big deal? Actually, that looks like a pretty nice house, doesn't it? I think it does. I mean, it's nestled there in the woods. It looks peaceful and quiet. And, uh, you know, you can hear the birds singing and uh, see the chipmunks running all around. It looks like a great place to live. Um, it looks great. But if you just take a few steps backwards, you find a different story. I mean, just take a look at that for a minute. Just let that sink in. I mean, doesn't that make you ask a lot of questions? What happened here? It looks like 
what probably happened is when this house was built, the river was probably like 20 or 30 yards to the right, you know, out of the picture, and somebody decided, wow, this would be a great place to have a house. And they were so anxious and excited to get this great house built on this great piece of land that they skipped the foundation entirely. They cut corners. And it looked great at first. But day in and day out, that mountain stream beat on the bank as it came around the corner, and storms and floods came up and beat on it. And over time, the river and storms kept just eroding the bank and pushing it back a little bit more and a little bit more until finally uh, today, or whenever this picture was taken, um, it's halfway under that house. And it's beautiful. It's serene and peaceful and completely unlivable and dangerous. Now, I'll tell you what. If a real estate agent was selling that house, right, they probably put this picture, right, um, in the listing and the, with a description that said something like, you know, beautiful, peaceful, quiet house nestled in a private wooded lot, mountain stream nearby. <laughs> but what you need to see is this picture. Right, so that you can know just how close that mountain stream is to coming through your bedroom window. Right? Just how close that house is to falling in the river, and it won't be so beautiful and peaceful and quiet anymore. Can I suggest to you that this is how the devil tries to sell life to you? Why bother with foundational stuff? You know, that takes time. You're too busy for that. You've got only so many hours in a day, only so many days in a week. Why waste it on building a spiritual foundation? You don't need that. Hey, you're different than other people. Other people may need that, but you know, you're stronger than other people. You don't need that. You know, uh, when the storms of life come, you can stand them all by yourself. What do you need a foundation for? That's the way the devil sells life to us. And you know, Jesus says, Jesus would say, you know what? You can have abundant life. But he's also honest with you. There are destructive forces that you will experience in life. Things that have the potential to cause damage will come your way. Storms of life, rainy days, floods and winds and destructive forces will beat on you in life. And let's be honest about the abundant life here, right? It's a life of abundant spiritual blessings and often physical and material blessings, but it is not the paradise described in the book of Revelation. It is not that yet. It's abundant, but there are also times when, when destructive forces come against you. You face hardships, unexpected difficulties, things that hit you right in the gut when you weren't expecting it. Emotional trials, relational trials, physical trials. And if you ignore your spiritual foundation, ignore God's word, then Jesus says you are going to fall with a great crash. But if you build your life on the foundation of his word, then the world can throw all it has at you, and in the end, you will stand. Look at this house again. I mean, it looks like it's maybe just a few decades old, and a freshwater mountain stream that doesn't even look very deep has brought it to the place where it's about to collapse and crash. Now look at this lighthouse again. It's 150 years old. It's experienced a century and a half of ocean waves and ocean storms and salt water beating on it, and it looks like it's ready to go another 150 years. 
Build your life on Jesus and his word. And the life and devil can throw everything that they want at you, and you will stand like this lighthouse. Because Jesus is your rock. In the words of the psalmist, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. He says this, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. It says he's my rock of refuge. He's my rock of fortress. He's the one who lifted me out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock and gives me a firm place to stand. He's the rock that is higher than I, the rock of my salvation. He's my mighty rock. And he's the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. That's what God is. That's the foundation that God is for you. Build your life on his word. And when destructive forces enter your life, they will not destroy you. All right, so then, what does it mean to build your life on the firm foundation of God's word? How are you going to do that? Well, right here in our passage, Jesus gives us two quick things that he wants us to see, and I want us to see this morning. The first is this. Hear. Hear the word. Look at verse 24 again. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a white man who built his house on the rock. So if you're going to build on the word, you have to first hear the word. You have to know what it says. You have to be exposed to it. And as you read the word of God, you get this idea that God really, really wants you to hear his word a lot. How many of you know what the greatest commandment is? Somebody just shout it out. What's the greatest commandment? Yeah, exactly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, right? And, uh, um, that's the great commandment. They came by and they asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And, and that, that's what he responded. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And, uh, but there's something I want you to see. There's something really cool about God's word. Uh, back in Jesus' day, how many of you know, probably a lot of you know, that they didn't have chapter and verse divisions in their Bible. Right? So they couldn't say, turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. Right? And so what they did is they had different scrolls for every book of the Bible. Um, and so they would learn them by sections. And they would sort of title sections by the, the first, what we call, verse in the section. So when someone wanted to talk about a certain section in the scroll, they would say, in the scroll of Deuteronomy, the, and they would, they, they would quote it. This is what happened on the cross when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? It wasn't just Jesus making that up. It's like Jesus was saying, if any of you want to understand what is happening here, what you're seeing before your eyes, go look at Psalm 22. That was the first verse of Psalm 22. It's this messianic psalm that described what is happening at the crucifixion. So that was common in Jesus' day. So um, Jesus here was not making up something new. He was making, he, he was quoting the first verse or the first line of a commandment from the Old Testament when they asked, what is the greatest commandment? And uh, the commandment is known as the Shema. It's the here commandment. It's found in Deut Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And that's just the first part of it. So let's, let's look at that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It starts this way. It says, Hear, O Israel. Shema. Hear. He says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Okay? And then the next thing it says, And hear three or four sermons a month. What y'all laughing at? Y'all laughing at me? Your Bible doesn't say that? Well, 
Well, let me check it again then. What does it say? Oh, I see. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them in symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Mm. Wow, that's a lot of hearing God's word, isn't it? That's a little bit more than um, just on Sunday mornings, I think. Uh, um, I mean, look at it more slowly. First, he says the word is to be on your hearts. That's a day-by-day thing, on your hearts. Right? That's a moment-by-moment thing. We should be thinking about it, meditating on it, engaging it. And, and I can guarantee you, probably a lot of you by Wednesday have forgotten what I preached on Sunday. Oh, you're looking around like, oh, don't make eye contact with him. Right? <laughs> but I know some of you have forgotten by Monday morning, right? Some of you, if I'm honest, have probably forgotten by the time you have lunch today. I Just being honest, right? You know, I know every pastor wants to think that uh, every single sermon was completely life-changing all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, but I, I get it. And I would be okay with that. If I knew that every single one of you was in the Word, uh, loving the Word, uh, getting the Word into you on Monday morning, right, or, or sometime Monday and Tuesday and, and all week long, you know, the, that the Word was, was, was in your heart. And then he says, um, teach them to children. And uh, you know what? I found that one of the best ways to learn the Word of God is to teach it to a child. Tell the story to a child, right? That's one of the best ways. Uh, You'll be doing something great for them and great for yourself as well. Then he says, talk about the word when you sit in your home and when you walk walk along the way. Well, that just about covers everything, doesn't it? I mean, that's a lot of time. If you're in your home, talk about the word. If you're not in your home, talk about the word. And then he says, when you um, lie down and when you get up. When you get up and when you lie down. Boy, that kind of covers all day, doesn't it? Have the word on your heart. He says, uh, then display it in your, uh, around your house. And uh, So this is the Shema, the here commandment, the greatest commandment. And if you're going to fulfill the greatest commandment, then you need to engage the word of God a lot. Hear the word. And then the second thing Jesus says here, if you're going to build our lives on a firm foundation that will withstand the destructive forces that come against it, he says, do the word. Do the word. Look at the passage again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So the difference between the wise and the foolish is the one hears and does, and the other hears and does not. That's what we call application. Apply the word to daily living. Live the word. Apply it to what you face. Build your lives on it. We trust God enough to follow through with his word. James said it this way. He said in chapter 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So here James describes this guy getting ready for work in the morning. Right? He looks in the mirror and he sees his hair's all messed up. His shirt is all buttoned wrong. He's got stripes going the wrong way. Right? His, his chin is cut. He's got blood coming down his chin from shaving. And, uh, um, but he turns away without fixing any of that and forgets what he looks like, and he's going out the door. 
right? I think a lot of us guys have this problem, right? To one degree or another, right? I mean, listen, that, that's why our wives meet us at the door. I mean, she's not just meeting you there to give you a kiss goodbye, right? She's there to fix you, all right? And, uh, and we all know what that's like, right? I mean, I mean, me too, same thing. 10.30 every Sunday morning. My wife meets me at the door. Yep, make sure you look good and all that type of thing, right? She's there to fix you. Well, James is saying something similar happens in the spiritual realm, right? The Word of God is like a mirror. You know, the Bible, it's not just some ordinary book. The Bible is a supernatural book that is aflame with the Holy Spirit of God. And it says that it's alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know what that means? You don't just read the Bible. It reads you. Right? You ever experienced that? You're reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit's taking it and saying, oh yeah, what about that? Or you should have more faith here. I'm going to give you more faith here. Or, or how about that? that? That doesn't quite measure up with what you're reading here. Now does it? You don't just read the Bible. It reads you because it's alive and active. And you, it's like a mirror for your soul, for your spirit. You read it. You see what you're like spiritually. You see everything is looking good. Or you see something is out of place here. Or something's out of place there and needs to be addressed with faith or repentance or trust. And James paints this picture of someone who looks in the spiritual mirror, then walks away, doesn't do anything about it. And I kind of imagine it like this, all right? This is my imagination now. But I imagine, you know, um, this guy going down the street, and these two angels uh, see him, and one says, you know, hey, isn't that Chris Christian over there? And the other one says, yeah, it is. And the first one says, well, why is he all so spiritually messed up like that? Um, didn't he look in the mirror today? And the other one says, yeah, I saw him reading the word, but, uh, um, boy, I guess he didn't do anything about it, you know, and just scratch it. It looks... Spiritually silly. When we hear the word, but we don't, and then don't do the word and don't respond to it, we look spiritually silly to God. That's what James is, is talking about here. This is what James meant when he said that faith without works is dead. Right? Faith that is not applied to daily living isn't really faith at all. And he used Abraham as an example, which is really important because. Paul also used Abraham as an example when talking about faith. And it shows that James and Paul were really talking about the same thing. They had the same idea about faith. So by using Abraham as an example, he's saying like this. Listen, if Abraham had said, God, I believe you want me to sacrifice Isaac. I believe you can raise him from the dead. But I am not putting him on that altar. Would that have been faith? No. Faith follows through, right? You know, if we say, uh, God, uh, I, uh, I believe that, um, that you can take care of my life. I believe all of those scriptures that it talks about, but I am not giving my life to you. Is that faith? No, it's no more faith than the Bible says the demons have, right? If we say, God, I believe that, uh, that, that you want to forgive me, and I believe that you are full of grace and want to forgive everything that, I, that, that, that I've done wrong, but I am not forgiving what that person said to me. Is that faith? Right? Faith does what? Faith follows through. Faith gets put into action. So when we hear the word, genuine faith takes it and says, yep, that's what the word says. That's what I'm going to do. By faith in God, by faith in his word, I am going to apply the word. I am going to live the word of God. Hear and do. Hear and do the word. So we're getting ready to conclude this morning. 
Can we just look at our scripture passage one more time? I mean, these, these are the last words of the greatest sermon ever given. The last words of the Magna Carta of the kingdom of God. And can we just take them in one more time by reading them aloud together? Would you read these verses aloud with me? Here we go. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You know what? As we're about to close this service, I just want to say, if it seems like to you, like sometimes I'm on your tail, like I'm all up in your stuff, and I'm all up in your grill about being in the Word of God, it's because I want you to get to know God as much as possible. I want you to know the grace and the knowledge of God. I want you to stand when destructive forces come against your life. I don't want you to crumble. As a pastor, you know, I don't want to have to go with you and pick through the, 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 the pieces and ashes of your life after some great calamity. I mean, I will if I have to, and if we have to. But I want to see you in the day of the storm stand and then come through on the other side, looking like that lighthouse, like you're ready to go another 150 years because you are firm on the solid rock. So I kind of want to give you just a couple of things. We're going to be talking about some practical things next week, but I want to give you just a practical challenge this week. Before you leave, make a commitment to be in God's Word this week. And if you're not sure where to start, I have a good idea for you. As many of you have seen, we're doing a... Um, another version Bible plan together this week. And um, 50 of you are my friends. I, I want 100 of you to be, to be my version friends. All right? I'm, I'm aiming at you. And, uh, and so far, I think about 20 or 25 of the 50 that are my friends have responded to doing that with me. What a great way to, to read the Word together. We're doing a week-long study in, on the Sermon on the Mount that we just began looking at this week. I invite you to join me and the rest of the body here for this next week, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Join that study with us. Then you can see other people's comments and how they're interacting with it as well. Would you bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you also that it's not just some dry word, but it's living and active. And God, I pray for each one here. God, that you would move in our hearts, God, and show us what we need to do. God, if we need to just continue on what we're doing because we're in the Word, I'll regulate God, great, bless your people. God, if there's some that need to make some decision to this week be in your Word, either by themselves, God, or as part of this group study, God, uh, God, I pray that your grace would flow even now, even today. God, we just um, uh, draw us to you, to your Word, and keep transforming us into the image of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.